Hello, and welcome to The Root Cellar. This is the podcast where we talk about modern homesteading and the desire to create. I'm Jolene O'Neill, here with Andrea Nelson. Hello. Our topic today kind of gets to the root of the issue. We have this big question, why are we drawn to self-sufficiency? We know we're not the only ones because we live in a community where people are self-sufficient and kind of interested in this thing, like-minded individuals. And um, even beyond that, so is it basic human instinct, the drive to create and do for yourself? Any opening thoughts? Yeah, so for sure, I think that it's a combination of many things. Basic human instinct dictates that we take care of ourselves, that we take care of our families and our close community members. But I think that you and I could attest to the fact that being younger, senior millennials, or the (laughs) (laughs) that we are obviously like really into social media even if we try not to be my screen time was down 54 percent this week so (laughs) you're gonna be i think you're gonna (laughs) hashtag winning (laughs) i think you're gonna beat me on that one (laughs) but i mean how do i spend my social media time like pinterest snapchat instagram facebook and all of those things that feed into kind of this interest as well. Like not just within the people in my community, but also people way beyond me, people across the country, people in other countries. And all of these people are interested in, you know, not necessarily growing all their own food or raising all their own meat, but even simple things like, hey, look at what I knitted or crocheted or what dinner I made from scratch. Self-sufficiency, I think, means different things to different people yeah sure. i can agree with that i think i spend a lot of time saving recipe videos um to try later which i actually do i don't just save them i actually make the things last night i made um a loaded cauliflower dish and that was a recipe video that i saved last week so um there's those kind of things and then pinterest too that same kind of save for later mentality but it gets overwhelming It does. I know my Pinterest page. So a few years ago, I don't know if you remember, I took a group of kids. So I teach junior high and high school, just like Mm -hmm. you. So I took a group of kids to San Francisco and we toured the Pinterest facilities, Mm. which was really cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. We were able to uh, kind of a meeting and meet and greet and talk to some of the people that work at Pinterest. And one of the things that I asked was like, oh, it'd be so awesome when you pin things if there were like subfolders and I'm Mm -hmm. sure I'm not the only one on this right and I don't think it's quite there yet but for me when I pin things to my farm Black Acre Farm I might be pinning everything from ideas for remodeling my 1903 farmhouse to building a pig feeder to pumpkin patch to whatever and so varied and yeah it becomes overwhelming like oh my gosh I've got a thousand pins under this right. one category, like, I don't know. I, I'm right. sure we're not the only ones. All of them. And yeah. I have seven ideas for the same thing, and none of them are exactly the same. Yeah. I will say Pinterest has improved. In the very beginning, you could pin, like, the same thing multiple times. So I'd go into, like, my food, my recipes mm-hmm. one, and I have, like, three recipes of the exact same recipe for chocolate chip cookies. And I'm like, well, I probably didn't need that three times, but yeah. I must mean I like it. Yeah. Must must make the cookies. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing about Pinterest that gets overwhelming for me is um, how perfect everything appears, and that's yeah. a common social media problem. Yeah. Um, I I think your house looks perfect, but mine does not. <laughs> the interior decor is just 
the part where I want it. And then there's all these houses and they have the most perfect, you know, wall of photos and, and everything is. Trust me, that wall of photos is not perfect. And it's a whole pain in the ass because I'm constantly <laughs> adjusting that perfect wall of photos because it's constantly going crooked. I know. Hence living with little children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I understand. I've got um, highlighter on the wall above my son's hot bunk. Oh, that's fun. I just, uh, like a week ago, I am walking through and I just find a pink highlighter in the middle of the kitchen floor with no cap and the tip is all mashed. And the mystery and begins. Like, because then later I was going to get them pajamas or something, and I was like, oh, I see what happened to the highlighter. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. yeah. So funny. He's just preparing. Yes. Yeah. Right. He really likes to use the magic eraser, so yeah. maybe it has something to do with it, because then he would write on the page. Get after it. <laughs> well, that's good. I still have, like, a mural of color crayon in my upper hallway, I think, that might be a permanent mural until I get around to painting the upper hallway this mm -hmm. summer, because, yeah. Mm -hmm. The magic uh, eraser yeah. didn't quite tackle it. Right. And that's kind of the issue about this, like, self-sufficiency thing is where do you find the time? I think for us, and there are a lot like us out there that are working moms. Yeah. And working dads, too. I mean, it's the same. This isn't the, this isn't, um, the way it was 100 years ago when at least one parent was home, if not both, because you're working a farm. Yeah. And so you're around. Um, you guys are working a farm and both working at home. So, um, and then uh, for my account, I mean, I'm working a full-time job with a 45 minute commute and my husband's on the road half the time. And you have three kids under and the I age of six. Three kids. And yeah. I'm just like, so there's truly no time to accomplish all these things. And, um, that's sometimes kind of heartbreaking because those are the things that are the most satisfying to me Yeah, is making something for yeah. my for myself or for my kids or feeding them something where, you know, I know where it came from. Um, I know how it's made. I'm proud of it. And, and just finding the time for all of that. You know, I mean, I know that I believe in our next podcast, we're going to talk a little bit more about organization, time management, and how you kind of juggle all of these things. But when it comes to the self-sufficiency aspect of it, there is so much pride in being able to do things for yourself. And mm -hmm. I think that that would be the same for people who live in a city versus us who live in more of a rural area, just there is a lot of pride in being able to do anything for yourself, whether mm -hmm. it be make your own meal or, um, I don't know. Grow your own little herb garden. Yeah. Or yeah. So wh whatever that means to you. I know um, I have some friends that live in Portland. And one thing that they enjoy doing is they love, like, having a little backyard garden and backyard chickens and all of that. They obviously don't need to have that in Portland. There are so many wonderful farmer's markets and fresh produce and fresh places to get eggs, little farms and things. They do not need to do that. So why do they? Right. I mean, why do we do what we do? Right. You know? That's the question. I think um, it's, like you're saying, it's just so satisfying to things that are your own and um and then it's like to what extreme do you take it yeah because uh i i crochet like andrea's mentioned and i make hats and everything but i don't go to the extent of collecting the fiber and spinning the, yeah. the wool myself um because to me it's like the finished product that is the satisfying thing and so 
that's like going down the rabbit hole, basically. Yeah. To go back and back, like, spinning. Well, that means I have to acquire wool and dye and a spinning wheel, which you know about, and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to know, but I don't have the time. And, and that's my problem, is I tend to go down the rabbit hole with anything I'm interested in. I want to go back down to the very basics of it and mm-hmm. figure out, just like you are with canning, the science of canning. For me, and it's not canning for me, but it's other things, and um, spinning is one of them, which, you know, I was always interested in, and I came across the spinning wheel at the secondhand store for 70 bucks. If anybody knows anything about spinning, that's an awesome deal for a really nice spinning wheel, and I had a good friend who is a great, like a master spinner, make sure that I had it all set up right, and I started practicing. And then it didn't get used for like two and a half years because I had a toddler and he wanted to try spinning too. And so I just kind of got back into doing that again. And now I'm really looking forward to practicing that more and maybe doing kind of a fiber arts thing. But then that means I kind of have to say, um, you know, catch you later to another project for a while. So it's mm-hmm. choices, you know, like how far do you want to go with something and then you have to make those choices of what to sacrifice in the meantime. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I also, though, with the self-sufficiency thing, started off just, you know, with a small backyard garden wanting to grow some basic, like, salsa ga- garden, tomatoes, peppers, cilantro, and such, and it's kind of like snowballed into quite a large garden and to this point like having high tunnels and expanding mm-hmm. further and looking into organic gardening and now I'm taking a master gardener's course so that I can really get down to the root mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. and <laughs> okay so we're English teachers we really like puns uh, <laughs> the um, root of it and really be able to know it from a very basic scientific level of what I'm doing why I'm doing it mm-hmm. and being able to create or grow or make the best product Mm -hmm. i feel like for me it's kind of a different thing a lot of times it's um, a lot about costs because uh i spent some time in college being really broke and that's kind of when i started i feel like collecting food um so even at that time when i was broken in college i made sure i had a little five cubic foot freezer and i had whole chickens in there and just kind of quick meal stuff and then um i made sure i always had canned food i wasn't canning at the time like commercially canned food um so that when there were times when you know it's the end of the month and money's tight nobody's hungry and so that's kind of i think where my um desire is is to make sure i i I don't like anybody to be hungry and i also feel like um food is love yeah and so i do a lot of caring with food like um feeding people, making, at this point, because I'm not concerned about where my food budget comes from anymore, uh, it's more like um, making things that are special. And, you know, like I was saying last time, nobody leaves my house without a jar of jam. It's just kind of like me showing how I care. Um, I don't know, so it's kind of a different standpoint. Yeah, I would say... You're much more into that than I am, right. to be honest. Like, I love good food. I like making good food. But I have so many other interests that, to right. me, like making a special dinner every night. Or d- I mean, you're just a lot better at that than I am, like, thinking about and, like, incorporating that into your everyday life. Like, I'm not 
I'm, I'll be 100% transparent with our listeners today. My kids, as we're doing this, um, I heated up a microwave meal for my son because he loves them and I think they're nasty and I won't buy them. But as long as they are have been bought by my husband, he had a microwave dinner and uh, then he had a fruit roll up from the store. I was not dehydrating that fruit. And my daughter got home and I said, please help watch your brother and you can have some more microwave popcorn. So... That's how we're accomplishing this today and getting together is because my kids are eating everything that's not self I guess, sufficient in the sense I guess we make money and we can go to the store and buy it, but not right. <laughs> homegrown. Well, my husband and I are having, because uh, we do keto, we're having pizzas on mushrooms, on portobellos, as they call us, and uh, the kids are eating either pizza rolls or hot dogs, whichever one they want, <laughs> so, and they're like, the cheap hot dogs. <laughs> and there's when I bought those, they were so excited. But uh, so sometimes it's like you're trying to balance all this yes. stuff, yeah. and then and then you're trying to balance opinions. Like uh, me last night with, or my my youngest Ezekiel last night with the um, with the cauliflower, the loaded cauliflower. I personally think cal- cauliflower doesn't taste like anything. So to me, replacing potatoes with cauliflower is no big deal. It was roasted, it was seasoned, it was good, and then it was covered in cheese and bacon and chives, basically. He was not having that. <laughs> he sat at the table with one piece of cauliflower in his mouth, just kind of like holding his jaw open with his mouth closed, like not going to. I wish I could show people how he <laughs> face because he was not going to chew that <laughs> no matter what. He wasn't spitting it, but he, he was wouldn't just, spit he was it just he knew holding it. Yeah. yeah, he's just holding it in his mouth. And it's like, I made this thing and it was good. <laughs> And it was, there's nothing wrong with it, but but you better believe he's going to eat a hot dog tonight. Yeah. Without complaining. So. Yeah. And I think people that have children will completely understand this. And those of you who have children and get your kids to eat all that healthy, tasty food on a consistent basis, kudos to you. Like, bravo. (laughs) Like, you have either more time, patience, or better behaved children than I do. Because my kids, anytime I try to feed them almost any type of vegetable like it has to be somehow well well actually no that's not true my children are weird about things my daughter refuses to eat any kind of a bean (laughs) however she will eat brussels sprouts and asparagus two things i absolutely thought were the nastiest thing ever when i was a kid and i love them right but how does that make sense i have no idea (laughs) yeah (laughs) just weird yep but i mean as it comes to self-sufficiency like you were saying with the cost i think cost both ways like money costs like you were Mm -hmm. saying in college trying to save that money by like having a stored amount of food in a freezer but also time costs Mm -hmm. and I have people I know um, and people I admire that are really awesome at it they grow almost all their own food they have these wonderful meals they do all this stuff and some of them work full-time some of them stay home they are in all different situations and I think wow how do they accomplish all that and so I'm always working towards that and I always feel like I'm kind of in a weird zone of I admire that I'd like to be more like that I'm always striving for that but I don't know if I'm 100% bought into that to the point of like I'm going to sacrifice some of my time doing the other things that I enjoy doing right to make those things happen I think we both have that problem where we're so interested in so many things that you can't balance all of it. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I think this summer, as I was doing all the canning, I kind of tried to um, 
to figure out the cost and how much because your time is worth money based on yeah. you know how much you could earn in that time. Yeah. And um, the asparagus that I made, for example, we made um, forty some jars of quarts of asparagus, and uh, those cost you know. It, we figured it out that it cost us $2.53 per jar to make it, including the cost of the jar. How much does it cost to buy a jar of pickled asparagus? Well, a smaller jar than that costs 6 or $8. So so in that way, it is worth that time. Yeah. I guess to, to spend the money in the asparagus. And I guess it's worth it if you're good at it like you are, too. Like, your asparagus <laughs> is good. So, yeah, definitely worth it and tasty. And like you said, it's like not just your time and money but it's a way of showing affection and love for the people that you care about yeah and i think a lot of people would agree with this in a world where everyone's so tuned into social media and connecting that way getting something that somebody actually took the time out of that life and mm -hmm. took the time out of their work life or their family life to create something special that then they're giving to you mm -hmm. i think means even more than it would have 50 years ago, 100 years ago, when it was more common. Yeah. It's kind of like the idea of the thank you note. Like, what? An actual note in the mail? What is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, yeah, I've had also had to let go about it a little bit, though, when I do give people food. Or I don't just give people food. I give a lot of people hats and scarves and things. Because um, there was a time when I gave somebody something I made and then the next time I think it was a blanket but I made a blanket and then the next time I went over to their house the dog had the blanket oh my gosh and I don't think people understand how much time it is yeah <laughs> to cook it takes dozens of hours yeah and so I was offended but then later on I realized I have to let go of that because my part of it is done once it leaves my hands yeah whatever people choose to do with it is that's their business and it doesn't necessarily mean they don't care or respect me care about me or respect me but they just didn't understand and maybe they, they yeah they don't value it the same way you do like they value the fact that oh that was so kind of you you gave me this gift but they don't understand or maybe they just value their dog that much yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe that's it Maybe that could be it, too. Yeah. And I think throughout this podcast, as we get on here and visit with you, you know, every week, we'll talk more about self-sufficiency. And this is going to be something that's always coming up because mm -hmm. really this is something that we try to strive for and practice, um, whether it is gardening or canning or crocheting or making butter or soap or whatever, this concept that, hey, we couldn't do, we can do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um but like what you're touching on and what I'm touching on is sometimes just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean you need to all the time. Right. Like give yourself a break. Yeah. Give yourself a break and don't beat yourself up because you're feeding your kids macaroni and cheese. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they really like it. Yeah. They really like it. It <laughs> won't kill them if they have it occasionally. It's right. okay. Um, so yeah, I think that that wraps up our second podcast just before you go. One more little thing. Uh, last week I talked Oh, I guess that was yesterday. We're not <laughs> quite on the weekly yet. Yeah. Yesterday, I talked a little bit about the Backyard Homestead as a great book for people who are interested in homesteading and starting a homestead. But today, I want to talk a little bit about um, a little jewel called Back to Basics. And it was actually came out by Reader's Digest in 1981. I It's older than us millennials. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
I grew up with it. My mom and my dad always had it on the bookshelf, and I have no idea why they got it or when they got it or I don't know, you know, where they picked it up from. But I would love just laying on the rug and flipping through, looking at all the pictures, and it's got everything on there, like how to build your own your own uh, well to an outhouse to building a cabin in, a wo- in the woods to a wood stove to canning to basket weaving. I mean, literally it has every single single kind of homesteading skill you can think of in one book and it's kind of cool um if you're familiar at all with the, the fairly i wouldn't call them famous but fairly well-known foxfire books uh it's very similar to that and i'll talk more about those in another time but it's something you should julian i think you'd be interested in the back to basics yeah, and actually your husband would really dig it too it's just a really cool book to flip through and lots of good pictures and so again it's called back to basics and it was a Reader Digest book, and I think you can still find it even on Amazon used ones for like 15 to 18 bucks. So, not bad. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to episode two of The Root Cellar. Um, we'll talk to you soon.